Man, oh man, am I excited for this podcast. Welcome back to the Trojan Talk podcast. I am Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com. And it may be the bye week for USC, but this is not a bye week for us at Trojansports.com. No, no, no. I hopped on a plane Wednesday, flew to Atlanta, drove to a lovely town called Carrollton, Georgia, to check in on and check out USC five-star 2026 quarterback commit Julian Lewis, Julian Juju Lewis. And it was good timing as this week Rivals came out with its 2026 rankings and Julian Lewis was the clear-cut, unquestioned number one on the big board, number one recruit in the country in his class. And he's also on the cover of Sports Illustrated this week on one of the, the regional covers as they did their money issue and a lot of that based around NIL. And Julian Lewis was an interesting subject as he is... Uh, certainly commanding a value, even at 15 years old as a high school sophomore. Strong social media following, big national presence. Everyone kind of knows who he is at this point. Yet in Georgia, it's one of the states that does not allow high school athletes to cash in on NIL. So he is not banking on that value yet. And that's why he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated's Money Issue. Imagine that, 15 years old on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Pretty cool. Pretty good timing to be here. And we were very excited that we could get him to do a podcast segment with us. I know a lot of USC fans obviously know who he is, know about his commitment last month, know what the big deal it was for USC and Lincoln Riley to win that recruiting battle and pull him out of Georgia. But I don't think most fans have heard from him directly, have seen him talk or heard him talk. So we will have that for you on this show. We have a, I think it was about a 12-minute interview we did with Julian at his high school on Thursday, we also interviewed his coach, Joey King, who notably was also the high school coach for Trevor Lawrence, uh, then at Cartersville High School in Georgia. And so he's been through this experience of having kind of the guy, the, the one that everyone in the country is looking at as, as like the next big thing at quarterback. He's done that before with Trevor Lawrence. He's doing it now with Julian Lewis. He had some interesting perspective on that. And... To round it out, on that segment, we brought in John Garcia Jr., our rivals analyst based in the Southeast, who knows everything about Julian Lewis and really just gave awesome insight and uh, and breakdown of his game and hit kind of his rise to prominence and what makes him so special. So if you've heard John on the podcast before, which we've had him on here a couple times, you know that he's as good as it gets in terms of the recruiting analyst and giving perspective. So I think you'll really enjoy that segment. But we didn't want to deprive you, our weekly spot with Max Brown, our resident TrojanSports.com analyst. So we're going to start the show with Max. We're going to touch very lightly on the win over Stanford last week. We both wrote out our top five USC MVPs through three games, the non-Caleb Williams division. So aside from Caleb, who are the five MVPs? Uh, we compare our list. We have some differences. We have some similarities. Max had some real surprises on his, which... I thought he explained and and argued very well. So that's how we're going to start it. We're going to start it with some USC football talk. Then we're going to jump into the Julian Lewis interview, his coach Joey King, and then John Garcia Jr. And that is our show. And as it relates to Julian Lewis, I'm going to have a massive feature story dropping this weekend from my interviews here in Carrollton. I had a, a long, long interview with his father who had great perspective as well as you can imagine 
And I think you'll really enjoy that story. So look for that on TrojanSports.com this weekend. We'll have highlights from his game Friday night as I'll be on the sideline shooting video. Um, uh, but we'll start it off with the podcast today. So Max Brown, Julian Lewis, his high school coach Joey King, and John Garcia Jr. Let's get it going. Okay, as we do each week, it's time to bring on our resident TrojanSports.com analyst, five years running, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback. Max, how you doing? Five years running, baby. I got that COVID, that COVID fifth year. We're uh, we're cashing in on it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to adjust your eligibility. There we go. I got that Bo Nix uh, speed. I guess five years starting. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it is the bye week for USC. There's no game to preview, and obviously, everyone knows what happened last Saturday in the Coliseum as the Trojans just dismantled Stanford in an absolute dominant drubbing and we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about that game specifically we'll start with it real quick but then we have a fun segment i think where max and i are both going to give our top five most valuable players in this usc team not named caleb williams so those players who are not giving beats headphones to the rest of the team we're choosing from that list Who knows? If we keep winning like that, I'm sure some of these guys might get some uh, some sponsors. Maybe not beat beat sponsors, but get other stuff for the team. Absolutely. So, yep, USC moves to three and zero last week. Fifty six ten was the final score, but more than the final score was the first half score. Forty nine to three touchdowns on six of the first seven drives, or six of the seven drives in the first half, uh, plus a special teams touchdown from Zachariah Branch in that time. Almost a defensive touchdown on the Max Williams interception where he goes down around the four and then a penalty pushes back to the 19, but they score anyway. Point being, dominant first half, 49-3. Max, can you recall a more dominant USC first half off the top of your head? I cannot. I cannot. And I'm actually the perfect person to ask because obviously uh, for much of my career I was a backup, so I always follow that stuff closely, man. I was hoping that (laughs) during those times there we could turn a 20-point lead into a 35-point lead and then your boy would have been out there getting getting more snaps. But, yeah, that was my first reaction is, if I'm not mistaken, Miller Moss started the second half, which that indicates, you know, how quickly this game was over. I never started a second half as a backup quarterback. I don't even know if I've ever started a – fourth quarter um usually there was there was one drive in there so no certainly the most dominant half i think it's important for sc fans it's funny i was on the radio show during the pregame show for usc radio and i think we're so conditioned as usc fans to be like oh stanford gonna be a tough matchup and we knew stanford was down but i think the general consensus amongst the usc fan base was like oh it'll be at least close I would I would caution fans to, to read too much in this game because that, that Stanford team it, it's going to be a rough year for them. They lost a lot on the transfer portal. I think they're gonna they're gonna struggle to really patch together um, multiple wins this season. So take it with a grain of salt. But that's the sign of a great team is you you don't play down to the don't play down to your opponent's level. You dominate them. You move on. You get the win. And I think one takeaway for me, big picture, and this is more of a 2024 storyline, but. For Miller Moss to get that whole second half, and I know Lincoln Rowley mentioned that he wished that second unit was sharper. Uh, he didn't call out Miller specifically, and I. But to me, it looks like Miller has command over this offense. He's obviously not Caleb Williams, but in terms of the grand scheme of backup quarterbacks and your comfort level there, if you had to be called upon again, I know he's not the Heisman Trophy winner, 
But I do get a there is a level of comfort with Miller, and there is a command with Miller that if called upon, this offense could function. Period. And moving forward, when you talk about you know where Mal- Malachi's at in the in the battle next year, I mean if you're if you're Vegas and you're putting a line on it, I think Miller is certainly the leader in the clubhouse and. Right now, it might be pretty substantial, that lead. And obviously, there's a lot of time before that happens. But just something to something to keep your eye on as a USC fan. And obviously, a fun talking point when you look into the to the next year, which I know we're not there, but uh, it's fun to think about. No, it's definitely a storyline worth monitoring on all this year and just kind of projecting ahead and certainly getting the more debates as we get closer. If I were handicapping the odds, I would give Miller a 40% chance. I would give transfer to be named later a 40% chance. And Malachi Nelson, twenty percent chance to be the starter next year. I think it's a good call. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Miller will have every chance to compete for that job and and try and go win it. But just having gotten to know Lincoln Riley as we have to this point, I don't think he's just going to be content with returning the depth chart as is. He's going to go out there and, and try and pry away that this year's Sam Hartman or or next year's Sam Hartman, you know, so, some veteran starter elsewhere that wants one year in the spotlight in the Lincoln Riley program with no guarantees not to come and compete. But that's my expectation for that. But yeah, Miller's had a lot of experience now in three games. He's thrown 32 passes, passed for 309 yards, touchdown. He uh, has two rushing touchdowns, so he's, he's really challenging Caleb there on the mo- mobile quarterback competition for the season. A great point on the experience for him. I started to see some some headlines this week that, oh, the Heisman race is tightening. Oh, Caleb's dropped to number two in the Heisman race. Who are these people? They're not watching these games. He has completed 78.5% of his passes. 12 touchdowns, no interceptions, 878 yards. He was 19 of 21 last game. I mean, we're just talking pure perfection almost. No, there is no competition in the Heisman race just yet. And the people who are overreacting to Colorado's impressive start so far, let's give it a month maybe, four or five games, to see if if they're still where you think they are. Because, I don't know, uh, just a little too early to, to knock down the, uh, the reigning Heisman for the flavor of the week. You know, we're in that position where everyone wants to have a hot take or go against the grain, but yeah, I'm right with you. Let's let's be realistic, college football world. It's the Ray Heisman Trophy winner. He's already done it once, and he's picked up right where he's left off. But no, it'll be fascinating too, especially in this conference because I mean, Shadur Sanders is obviously getting all a lot of the headlines, just given where Colorado's at. Um, I know on a lot of the radio shows I go on, Michael Penix is a tre- trendy pick as well. He's Already close to a thousand yards sure. passing, eight touch, eight touchdowns, one interception, and I know I have one game circled on my calendar this year. That November fourth matchup, Huskies coming to the Coliseum. Obviously, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but that game could be an absolute showdown. No, I think Penix is a, is a viable contender for sure, and I'm not even knocking Shador Sanders here. I just don't think Colorado's going to win enough games in the end uh, to make the case for him. I mean, I think they're going to be better than I expected. I'm definitely willing to adjust my projections for them after what we've seen through two weeks. But it's a long schedule, and still not totally sold on that defense they have. I, I do believe in their offense. But if they end up 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, he's not going to be a Heisman contender. So let's just cool it a little bit there and give the benefit of the doubt to the, the guy who's only played, what, 
eight quarters through three games, I think it is. Is that is that right, Caleb? Yeah. So, anyways, uh, just to put a bow on last week, though, it was the most points and a half for USC since 1974. And that's your point, Max, in terms of taking care of business and getting guys like Miller Moss in the game. That's what this program hasn't done in, in a while. Even last year, there, there were those games where you thought, okay, this is going to be a game where, where Caleb comes out early and, and Miller gets some run. And then the defense would let things tighten up again. The Stanford game last year is a prime example where, where they started hot and then let it get close. And it was never really a true uh, separation to, to do that. And Lincoln Riley talked about it after the game. He was asked about, does this team have a killer instinct that last year's team didn't have? And he didn't want to go there. He's been very clear that he doesn't want to compare teams. But he talked about how important that killer instinct is. And, and that manifests in a game like this where you're just that much better than their team. Show it. Don't leave any doubt. While they weren't as sharp in the second half, they, they still finished off a dominant win. And uh, that's what you would want a team to do. Okay, we are going to have some fun. We are going to give our five USC MVPs, not named Caleb Williams to this point. We have not conferred on our list. So we could have the exact same list. We could have different lists. Probably half and half, I would guess. I'm going to have you start, Max. Who is number one on your MVP, not named Caleb, list? Yeah, I'm interested to see. I feel like our top three could, could be aligned. This was actually a little, a little tough for me. You want to start with one or five and work down? Let's start with one. Number one, I got Bear Alexander um, outside of Caleb Williams. I think I said this last week on the pod. I just think um, when you talk about USC vying for a college football playoff position and a national national championship, right? If you're talking CFP, then you got to be talking the national championship run potentially. Bears' impact is absolutely vital. I think he's the one defensive lineman that can be an absolute game changer. I think he's the one defensive lineman that can change potentially. I'm not, I don't think he's there yet necessarily, but potentially change um, your game plan as an offensive coordinator in terms of maybe how you're protecting, how, how you're handling protections, maybe how you're handling run games. He has that skill set. And I just think, especially as you look forward and you're, When you play Washington and you need someone to be a difference maker on that defensive line and put pressure on Michael Penix and it can't just you can't just rely on outscoring guys. Barry Alexander to me is that guy, and I think it's it's incredibly unique to have that pass rush capability at the defensive tackle spot. I mean, we've seen that a bunch at the defensive end spot, but especially in college football, to have that impact on the inside again with all these quarterbacks in the conference. That to me is an absolute luxury. Um, it's always a luxury in football, but then especially in college football and especially in the Pac-12 where hey, a lot of these teams are going to have fly, high-flying offenses. And a lot of these teams, the question going into each game is going to be, where are they at front seven-wise? Can they hold up, especially as we get into the back end of the season? So to me, Barry Alexander is vital. Big pickup by USC. I think he's everything we hoped he would be through, uh, through two or three games this year. Yep. He's my number one as well. I wrote my column last weekend that he has somehow managed to exceed what were already ridiculous expectations for him coming in. I mean, coming in as a five-star guy, uh, one year at Georgia, played some, had some nice moments, didn't play a ton. Everyone was just assuming he would be this transformational force for this defense. I just kind of thought maybe that was asking too much right away too soon. But it's not. He has been that. He's been more than what anyone expected, which is incredible to say. Uh, USC, per PFF, USC leads 
Power five teams, QB pressures with 76. Uh, of course, they played one more game than most teams, but still, take it for what it is. And then I, I saw last week when I saw the stat, but Barry Alexander was leading all defensive tackles and pressures. He has, let me go to the stats, he has nine through three games. But again, it's um, just what it's what he sets up for the rest of the defense. You saw it last week where his pressure led directly to Ashton Daniels throwing the ball straight in the Max Williams grasp. When he just breaks through the middle of that line and, and just totally decimates the play, it, it sets up plays for the, the edge rushers to finish up what he started. There was no competition for the number one answer on this list for me. It's definitely Bear Alexander. Okay, who you got two? Number two, I got Jonah Monheim, left tackle. Obviously, offensive line, always vital. Again, similar logic to the first point is if you're contending for a CFP spot, I think the offensive line can't just be good. They need to be really good to almost great. Monheim's the guy that can be great. It feels like over the past few months, we've moved from all right, who's going to be that left tackle? To now it's Jonah Monheim. To now, hey, can he be a top-round NFL type of talent? And it feels like that mold's happened pretty naturally, I feel like, over the past 12 months or so. I'll even extend that time frame. Um, And, yeah, I I just feel like this offensive line, right now I do not have any concern that the offensive line will struggle. But, again, I think this offensive line needs to be better than just good or better than just okay – to ultimately win a championship, and Monheim's the guy that can lead that. A lot of the positions, I feel like, have guys with similar skill sets or, hey, even if he gets hurt, you can replace another guy here. Monheim, to me, is not that guy. Obviously, left tackle, important position. Obviously, with Caleb Williams being back there, that's a premium, keeping him healthy, and I think Monheim goes uh, a long way in making sure that happens. Okay, good choice, good choice. My number two is a guy named Jonah Monheim. Yes, we're... Right on the same page. Yes, there we go. Boom, <laughs> there we go. Stay consistent. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if we have the exact same list now. This is getting intriguing for me. Uh, I think our, our, I'm pretty confident our back end will be different. Okay. Number three might be the same, but four and five I'm pretty confident we're different. Okay, all right. The, the, the intrigue mounts. I mean, Monheim is, is that one next-level guy that I have up front. He, he's, he's the one guy that should be getting national attention that maybe gets in the All-American conversation – like you said, the NFL draft buzz, and he's just gotten better and better each year, which is exactly what you'd expect once you get to know him and his work ethic and just how how focused and driven he is and how every coach he's had, position coach, and he's had many, have just raved about his mental makeup and how he's just one of the smartest guys I've ever worked with at the position. So no surprise that he's gotten better and better and better despite changing positions and moving the left tackle this year. Without him... I think you have a lot of serviceable guys, but no, no, no standout. And I think, like you said, you you need someone to elevate that whole unit, and he's he's the guy for me. All right, number three, Max, who you got? Yeah, one last little point on Jonah. There, I feel like the frustration when we first started doing this. The frustration, even when I was at USC, is you get these big time recruits, and they would be good early on in their career, but never turn the corner to be big time NFL prospects. I can think a lot about a lot of the uh, a lot of the linemen that I played with, which ironically they did have runs in the NFL, but they weren't high draft picks. And I, I I recall that being a frustration amongst USC fans of like, all right, we get these big four or five star recruits, top you know, top one hundred players in the country and it's not that they're 
not panning out. It's just that they're not developing to that next level like we saw a lot of the linemen under the Pete Carroll days. And it's good to see a guy like Jonah Monheim, uh, Monheim kind of turn the corner there and, and take that developmental path to be uh, to be an elite offensive lineman there. But yeah, number three for me, I'm hanging with the offensive line as well. Center, Justin Dietrich. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, going there. Um, not only from a skill set standpoint, which I do think he's valuable there, but almost just a, or even more so is a, is a glue guy perspective. I think one of the, a different way to think about this list for me is if one, if, if these guys got injured, injured, what concern level be? And if Dietrich got injured at center, to me, that would be, uh, that'd be a concern, um, because there's camaraderie there from the center position. And one thing to keep your eye on for USC fans that I'm intrigued with is, one thing we have not heard a lot from Lincoln Riley is about the leadership of this team. You hear about it a little, you hear about it with Dietrich, don't get me wrong, you hear about it with Shane Lee a little bit, but you don't hear about it, in my opinion, as much as other years and as last year, which has me thinking, where is the leadership on this team? And I think I look at a guy like Justin Dietrich and making sure that he's healthy, making sure that he's involved and having his presence in the huddle Having been in huddles before, my read on that is that is not insignificant from a guy that can rally the troops and from a guy that, hey, let's say you're down seven points on the road in November and you need to get a win. Who's going to be that guy that rallies the troops? I think Dietrich has that ability from, obviously I'm not a groom, but from, from what I can read and obviously what I understand about this, about this roster, especially with all the transfers and new faces. So I point to Dietrich. I think glue guy, leadership. Presence in the middle. Um, I think if you lost another interior starter on the offensive line, the camaraderie standpoint uh, becomes a concern there. So, Dietrich anchoring my number three most valuable player outside of Caleb Williams. I like it. It was a curveball for me because there have been some some snap issues so far, and he had some penalties. But I think you really sold it very well there in a couple of ways. One, if he wasn't out there, what happens to the line? And we still don't know exactly what they would do. Would they really turn it over to Killian O'Connor, a walk-on, to be the center? He's been the number two guy, especially with Gino Quinones done for the season. Or would they have to move Jonah Monheim inside just to stabilize that spot? Then you're taking your best player away from the most important spot. Would Andrew Malek, who hasn't gotten much game experience, would he be the guy there? So many questions at number two center. So you can sell it to me on, on that basis alone. But then, yes, the leadership quality for sure. Dietrich, I mean, I, if you were to poll the players on who's the most respected teammate, he would he would be top three, I'm sure, and, and maybe he'd be one. He has like a, a, a Dalai Lama-like presence to him where he's just like this, uh, this seasoned, <laughs> grizzled source of wisdom and... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A, a calming awesome. presence. It's it's funny whenever we talk to Dietrich, I always feel like I'm talking to, to like a 47 year old. He's just he just seems like he, <laughs> like he's uh, he's that's great. As, as as the saying goes, that guy's seen some shit. So <laughs> uh, he has seen some shit, no doubt. He's been through been through it all. That <laughs> so I, I like your answer on, on that point, and I would assume that whatever whatever. Um, inconsistencies there have been on some of the snaps will smooth out as they go along because again while he's played guard uh, in recent years he came in as a center prospect so it's not like he's new to the position just some readjusting to a new role my number three is 
the freshman phenom, Zachariah Branch. I just, we haven't seen him fully unleashed yet in the offense. I think his role grows and grows and grows as it goes along. But the special teams element is huge. And whether teams start to kick away from him or try to avoid him, that helps field position in its own way. But you can't do that every time. He's going to get some more chances. And he's already broken two. Two return touchdowns in three games to start his career. We're, we're talking like Chicago Bears, Devin Hester, like uh, like X-Factor on special teams now. They just haven't had that guy in, in so long. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, Valus Jones broke the career kick return yardage record, but you never felt like, okay, every single time he gets the ball, he's a chance to break it to the house. So in my time covering this team, now six years, they have not had that guy they have him with Zachariah Branch, whether it's punts, whether it's kickoffs. But he, he's just as dynamic as a receiver. And I think they're going to find more and more ways to get him involved. And he already has two touchdowns as a receiver. None of those receivers have much volume yet. So we'll see how the, the target rotation tightens or narrows as we get into the bigger games. But no matter how much it tightens, they're, they're not cutting Zachariah Branch out because he is the one – not the one, but he is the most next-level talent they have in that receiving core. I think the depth is the overall strength of that group where all these guys can do it at a very high level. But he's that one guy that can just do it at that next level, that can just make those highlight plays with routine consistency. I'm kind of factoring in potential and how I think his role is going to grow into this, but while I think a lot of the receivers have proven to be interchangeable, I don't think he's interchangeable. I think he's uh, one of the elite assets they have offensively. I love it, and he's my number four guy. Good. Um, right with you for all the reasons you said, and just to overlay on it, I think, I mean, it's it's funny because I'm going to contradict myself a little bit because some of my guys on this list speak to, hey, they're a starter at a position that might not necessarily, or their backup might not necessarily have the depth, and I do think the receiver unit I mean, you, you feel really confident about, you know, seven, eight guys in that room. But to your point, and um, you said next level ability, to me, the, the word that comes to mind is this game-changing ability. I think all it would take is Zachariah Branch in the fourth quarter in a tie ball game to get one catch, make two guys miss, and score a touchdown, where the next guy, if it is a Taj Washington, not that Taj Washington is any scrub at all, but I think – um, Zachariah Branch has that game-changing capability with his ball in the hands. I like what you said about um, foreseeing his his role continuing to increase throughout the year. I think that's spot on. The field position element is spot on from the from the standpoint of instilling fear in the opposing head coach and special teams and uh, and punter there in terms of and, and kicker giving him a shot to to handle the ball. I just. Zachariah Branch has the ability to win you a football game, which you don't always say about a receiver, but he has that talent. And I think that talent coupled with Lincoln Riley's scheme um, is going to give defensive coordinators fits. And the last thing I'll say about this is I would be willing to bet in the um, scout team session for opposing teams there's always like a few players that you have special jerseys on, right? A few players that it's either in a different color or you're highlighting their numbers specifically. And while I like all of our receivers, I'd be willing to bet most weeks number one is the that teams are having a highlighted and featured number one on their scout team offense to make sure they know where Zachariah Branch is. I think his impact is that 
that that large, and uh, it's only going to increase as the season goes on. There's a reason that just a few games into his college career, guys like Odell Beckham Jr. and Tyreek Hill, NFL established NFL stars, are taking notice of him and and reaching out to him and and uh, encouraging him to keep doing what he's doing. I mean, that's he's on everyone's radar right now. I was the biggest stockholder, shareholder in Zechariah Branch stock. He's exceeded even what I thought he would do immediately. I thought he would eventually be this guy and, and maybe even at some point this season be this guy. But to, right out of the gates be this guy is, again, much like Bear Alexander has exceeded even what I thought and I had high expectations for him. Okay, my number four is Marshawn Lloyd, who... Again, hasn't been fully unleashed yet. We've just seen it. It's been teased. He's he's getting you know less than ten carries a game, so he's he's not had the volume, but he has maximized pretty much every touch since the first half of the first game. He started a little slow in the opener. Second half of that game had two big plays. The last two games has just been uh, awesome. One of his best uh, highlights last week was was called back by a penalty, but. He just turned on the Jets to blow past the last line of Stanford defense for what should have been a nice long touchdown run. The run game's been so good, no matter who's been back there, that you could say maybe there's some interchangeability there. But I just think that he adds an extra dynamic that like we've been talking about. I think he's 20% better uh, on most plays than what someone else would do. Uh, whether that's making one extra guy miss, whether that's hitting the afterburners at just the right time to finish a run or get an extra 10 yards out of it. I think he's a truly impressive talent. It's easy to see why he was a five-star guy coming out of high school. And I talked to him before the season. While he had a good year at South Carolina last year, he said he was just finally starting to feel like himself again. Uh, He had torn his ACL entering his freshman year and said that, you know, as much as the physical recovery, it was that mental recovery of believing he was still the guy he was before. And... Uh, not worrying about the knee, not worrying about if I do this max effort, what's going to happen. And he said he finally started to get over that hurdle last year. Uh, came here really intent on reminding everybody why he was one of the top prospects in his class coming out. And I think he's shown that so far. I think when this season's done, uh, he his stats will back it up. And I think just like last year when, when Travis Dye kind of separated from the pack, I think Marshawn Lloyd will emerge as more of a, maybe not a true bell cow, but I'm thinking he's getting 65 to 70% of the carries by the middle of the season. He has that home run, uh, home run capability. We had him on Trojans Live uh, this past week. Yeah. Super impressed with his interview and just how he handles himself and very well spoken and just seems like a sharp dude and I think it speaks to his mentality to transfer away from a school like South Carolina to walk into a running back room that has depth and to walk into an offense that has a ton of playmakers and the the, the confidence in yourself to be able to to carve out a role there and I think we've seen through the first three weeks his uh, his his home run capability and the pass catching ability is what excites me the most uh, number five for me I think this is gonna be a curveball for you but uh I might be contradicting myself relative to what I said last week, but uh, I'm going Lake McCree. Ooh. The uh, 
the tight end. Um, yeah, for similar logic to Justin Dietrich, similar logic to Bear Alexander from a depth perspective. Through three games, uh, I feel like Lake is really the only tight end on this roster that Lincoln feels comfortable running everything out of with. Uh, run, run game, pass game. He can be your blocking tight end. He can be your pass catch tight end. You can line up an H-back. And I think if he were to go down that would force Lincoln Riley to game plan differently in terms of what he's putting on his call sheet because I don't think you would be able to put in everything from a goal line perspective. I think you would have to go a lot more. Um, I, I think if Lake McCree got injured, we would start seeing a lot more four receiver sets because that would be the wrinkle and the, you would be forced to spread people out more, which, hey, I'm not necessarily saying that's something bad per se, but in terms of value, most valuable player, I think – Again, if, if he were to, some for whatever reason, be sidelined, I think it could change how this offense looks and how a defensive coordinator needs to approach that week. Um, I'm not saying he's a difference maker like a um, Zachariah Branch from a game-changing perspective, but I just think he has a value. And we talked about it last week on the podcast. The tight end position is one that, you know, we often forget about. It's a position that Lincoln Riley has used heavily in years past. Lake had a, had a, had a good impact in, in last week's game, but I just think, um, he, he really feels like the top tight end and the, and the one guy that, uh, Lincoln feels most comfortable with. And that is why he is rounding out my, uh, my fifth spot on this list. Max, that wasn't a curveball. I, I can spot curveballs out of the hand. Like I, I can see the spin coming off the fingers. That was a, a, a straight, uh, filthy knuckleball that just uh, left me frozen in, in the batter's Tim box. Tim Wakefield, baby. Tim Wakefield, <laughs> But again, you, you sold it. You, you sold me on it. And that's, again, the value of your perspective. Having played college football, having played quarterback, you understand why everything you said matters. And me watching the game, I'm, I'm just seeing, okay, he has a few catches, and I, I don't really – truly take away the full significance of, of why everything he's doing at tight end is important and how that would change the offense without him. So you, you totally sold me on that one. I like it. You know what? I don't even like love it. it. I love it. I love it. Uh, there we go. My last one <clears throat> is a tie because I like to cheat on these things. I'm giving the co-honors at number five to Solomon Bird and Jamil Muhammad. Uh, the pass rush. Uh, oh, uh, you go co honors. <laughs> listen, I honorable mention. It's my game. I make the rules. I'll play it however <laughs> I want to play it. There you go. I also have some honorable, honorable mentions as well, which we'll get to. But uh, Solomon Burge, Jamil Muhammad coming into the season, the pass rush was the big question. Not a question as if people thought they wouldn't have one or be a a, a weak spot, but just who was going to emerge at those uh, edge positions? Who who, who were going to be the guys? Was it going to be Anthony Lucas? Was it going to be Romello Height, Braylon Shelby? Would Corey Foreman get in the mix? Solomon Bird was kind of, you know, forgotten coming off of last season. Now he started to gain a lot of buzz in fall camp, so we this isn't coming out of nowhere. But he was like the guy the first three weeks of last year, mainly games two and three, and then didn't do a whole lot the rest of the way and kind of, kind of faded a little bit. And I don't know if that drove his motivation this offseason or if he's if it was an injury-related thing, he's just healthier or what it is, but he has been a man possessed this year. He leads the team with four-and-a-half tackles for loss and two-and-a-half sacks, and he had three of those tackles for loss last game. It's just been a pretty steady presence there. And then Jamil Muhammad only has uh, two tackles for loss, but both sacks, two sacks, but 
I just keep noticing him. He just stands out when I watch the game. So I, I think there's more big plays to come for him. He does have two forced fumbles already through three games. But he's just he just seems to be around the ball a lot. He has great burst and, and speed uh, out of that rush-in spot. And I think he's going to end up having a very nice season for them. And take those guys away, and I and maybe the the pass rush production is lacking. I think they've been the stabilizing forces. So those are my two. And number five, any quick honorable mentions you want to just highlight real fast? There's a big drop-off to me. But I, I was thinking about putting either Kalen Bullock or Jalen Smith there. I mm-hmm. feel like that nickel, nickel spot, they've got – they've. Uh, They've got more clarity there, um, but again, I'm, I'm I'm good with my list of five. I'll good. stick with my five. Yeah, I, I mean, Kalen Bullock and Taj Washington were the other two for me, but again, for as much as Taj has done, and and I certainly uh, want to stop underestimating him and give him his full respect. I I think, you know, other Dorian Singer, uh, other guys could turn those touches in the big games as well. He's just been the most consistent of the bunch. But in terms of the, the MVPs, I think we nail it with our list. I like it. That's all for today. Kind of a quick segment with Max, but we'll get back into it next week. Looking ahead to Arizona State. And uh, I'm sure I'll figure out another gimmick for us to uh, debate on. But we're going to get to the next segment here after we say goodbye to Max and bring on, on Julian Lewis, the 2026 five-star quarterback. Before I let you go, Max, real quick, you had a lot of attention and a spotlight following your recruitment. Could you have imagined being on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 15 years old? <laughs> I could not have. No, that's that's crazy. Yeah, I was the number one quarterback in the country, and Sports Illustrated wasn't even on the, on the radar for me at that at that age. So it speaks to how you know how big time of a recruit this dude is, and it speaks going coast to coast that he's eyeing what Lincoln Rally has got going out on the West Coast. So. Excited to listen to that. Enjoy the bye week, everyone, and hopefully uh, got more exciting football uh, in store for us in the weeks ahead. We absolutely do. All right, as always, Max, enjoy it. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Always enjoy doing that with Max. Always like the perspective and the, and the, and the football knowledge he brings to this show and uh, thinks about things in ways that I don't always see uh, as obvious. And We've had a good partnership on here the last five years and thankful that we're still doing it together. With that, let's move the show to Carrollton, Georgia, and let's talk to Julian Lewis, USC's 2026 five-star quarterback, the number one quarterback, the number one prospect in that 2026 class, and a Sports Illustrated cover athlete this week. Here's Julian. Okay. Trojan Talk podcast coming to you live from Carrollton, Georgia, Carrollton High School with USC 2026 five-star QB Julian Lewis. Julian, thanks for joining the show. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you for having me. So it's a good time to be here. Cover of Sports Illustrated. What's that been like walking around as a Sports Illustrated cover athlete? Um, I mean, it's not very common. Not many people can say they're on uh, the cover of Sports Illustrated, so I'm just blessed. I mean, that's, just, that's all I can say. How many of those have you had to sign so far? I haven't signed any yet, actually. I'm waiting for this weekend. There'll probably be a couple coming in the it's mail. Coming. But, oh, yeah. Well, I want to cover a lot with you, but I wanted to start there with just the spotlight that you have on you so young. What are the, the positives and negatives of having all this attention so early, and, and how do you kind of manage to deal with it? Um, I mean, it's kind of been one of those things that's been going on for a while now. Like, I mean, I've been getting taking pictures with and stuff since I was, like, seven, so I've kind of had time to, like, learn the, the goods and bads. But, I mean, I mean, the only bad part is, I mean, I'm not going to say not being able to walk through school is bad, but, like, 
it's just different and it took time it definitely took time to like learn and understand that it's like it's just a part of being me now but I mean it's definitely a blessing when you look at it when did that really start like again things kind of changed the way people treated you or just people noticing you everywhere um probably like seventh eighth or not noticing everywhere my hair grew out that's really when probably like eighth grade <laughs> probably like eighth grade was like the time because like, I, I mean I started getting like all those offers and stuff that was probably when what was the first time someone asked you to sign something and, and what was your reaction in that moment do you, do you recall where you were I don't even know when the first time it was but I didn't even I still don't know my signature I gotta work <laughs> on it but I don't know I'm gonna go through your USC commitment first and we'll talk about just your development as a quarterback but the recruiting process overall, what was your approach going into it, and how did you kind of want to manage it and, and get through it? Um, I mean, I didn't plan on being recruited for a long time. Like, I kind of knew like, I wanted to settle down early because I'm, like, I'm not a big fan of the whole being recruited stuff and going on all these visits. So I was like, I'm going to lock down pretty early, and I, I felt like USC was the best situation for me just because of what Coach Riley's done with quarterbacks, and you just know that. Like they're, what he's what he's gonna turn you into, and like what he's gonna prepare you for the next level. I mean, that's everybody's end goal, and that's where he gets people. So, what was the very first offer, and and when, when did that come in? Uh, it was Florida in seventh grade. And, and what's your reaction in that moment as a seventh grader getting college offers? I mean, of course. I mean, I, I didn't expect it necessarily. I mean, I got Florida, Penn State, and Georgia Tech all in the same day, so that was definitely a. A hectic day and then I had to go to practice I got tackled by the team that day just by like a, I mean it was it was definitely a not very common day when, when did USC really kind of start to crystallize as, as a top contender and eventually your, your your choice I mean we've always looked at coach Riley as like one of the top QB guys I mean he's a quarterback guru as my dad says but I mean I don't know I mean coach Riley doesn't really offer kids young so when he offered me, it was kind of like one of those things where I was like, yeah, you got to look into it. And we did enough research. And we, my, I mean, my dad, I think my dad's probably the biggest stalker in the world, but <laughs> he's good at what he does. So I listened to him and I believe in his decisions. So, what was, was that your first conversation with, with Lincoln? Or uh, I think I talked to him over the phone, but I, that was my first like real in person conversation with him. Yes, sir. What, what was that experience like sitting down with him in person? You, you know his history and reputation, but to have that conversation, the talk at length. What kind of stood out to you about that experience? Oh, I mean, just his, I mean, his mind, like his quarterback knowledge and his knowledge of just football is just kind of on a different level. It's kind of, he definitely said some stuff that I didn't understand. It was one of those things where like, yeah, if you sit in the room long enough with this guy, you're going to, you're going to learn football. I mean, that's something you can't skip over. Take me through that visit and just everything that they kind of presented to you and, and, and what all you saw and did while you're there. Um, man, I mean, I took a tour of the stadium. I did, I mean, I toured the whole campus they showed me the weight room and stuff like that my dad loves the weightlifting coach and weightlifting coach has done a great job with Caleb Williams you've seen and Caleb's gotten big over the, the past couple months but I mean yeah I mean they pretty much just like a regular tour I mean it wasn't anything like out of out of the ordinary but when you guys left that visit were you already thinking this might be the choice or did that come later yeah no definitely I mean my dad kind of told me after he was like yeah this is one of those places I mean you, you're in Southern California, like it's that's not like a very, uh, I don't know what to say. It's it's not like a Georgia or Alabama. It's a, it's just one of those. It's a, just a different type of spot. I can't even explain it, but I don't know. It's definitely a vibe out there. What was the point when you you got to the the final decision and said, okay, it's it's definitely going to be USC? Was there a long conversation with your with your dad, or as you kind of get to that final part? Um, it wasn't even like a long conversation. Like we kind of we kind of talked about it in like a bunch of different times. Like we were like, yeah, we're pretty much like we locked in with USC before 
I mean, we made it official or whatever, but yeah, no, it wasn't like a specific talk. We kind of just knew that it was the right move. I, I've heard that uh, that Lincoln Riley always tells quarterbacks I don't recruit anyone that can't win the Heisman. Yeah. Did he have the Heisman talk with you? He did give me the Heisman talk, but I mean, do I remember every word? No, but I mean, the Heisman does sound nice. <laughs> that does sound cool. I just want to win. I know that Caleb will be gone by the time you get there, but yeah. did, did he play any role in the process? Did, did he talk to you about his experience with Lincoln? Um, no, we like I didn't talk to him like that. I mean, of course I talked to him and said hello. I mean, I talked to all the quarterbacks there, but I mean, like me and Malachi Nelson, like we were kind of we're pretty cool. Like I knew Malachi when he was in high school and stuff. So I mean, I talked to him about it. And he was like it was one of those things he couldn't skip over either, and he kind of has the same mindset as me going into it. So I mean, it was nice. So now, now that you're committed, just uh, how do you approach just it's. It's so far in the future, but are you watching every game? Are you just locked in on everything that USC is doing now? Are you already trying to recruit guys? How do you go about it? Oh, man, I'm definitely trying to recruit people. I mean, <laughs> I'm definitely trying to recruit people, of course. I mean, I want best guys around me. I mean, USC has been bringing them in for a while now, but, I mean, I feel like that's kind of one of my jobs. I, I'll try to be the top recruiter in the country. But, I mean, am I watching every game? I'm not going to say I am, but, I mean, I've tried to look into it as much as I can, watch the highlights and stuff, but, yeah. What, what kind of relief was it for you to, to make that commitment and kind of have the process not over with because you still have to get the signing day and everything, yeah. but just to more or less have it over with? Oh, I mean, it definitely was a little pressure off of my pressure off of my shoulders. I mean, I get to actually relax and kind of enjoy enjoy being a kid now. I, I guess they can say enjoy being a kid, but, I mean, it definitely makes everything a lot easier knowing that you're locked in where you're at. The big question that everyone has, there's obviously been buzzed for a while about will you reclassify, will you move up your timeline? What's been your conversation with your dad about that? Do you guys have a plan? Um, I mean, honestly, not really yet. I mean, I'm kind of just trying to work out through high school. I mean, I'm not really too much worried about, like, what the next couple of years got. I'm kind of just focused on this season and what, what we got coming up. To be as advanced as you are at this age, obviously a lot of development and a lot of dedication has gone into that. Kind of take me through just the whole process. When did you get super serious about football, about being a quarterback, and about wanting to work towards this goal? Uh, I mean, I, I was a quarterback since I was seven. So, I mean, it's kind of been – I mean, I've been trained since I was seven, doing all that extra stuff, going to camps and stuff since I was like seven, eight. So, I mean, it's kind of been one of those things that got put upon me before I kind of knew what was going on, and then it got it got pretty serious kind of recently. But, I mean, I've been I've been doing what I've been doing since I was young. Was there something specific that kind of sparked your interest in, in quarterback? Not necessarily. I mean, when it was just like I used to play like defensive end and stuff like that. I was a defensive end and fullback because, I mean, everybody was little back in the day. So I was one of the biggest <laughs> guys. And coach just wanted to see who could throw the furthest. And I guess I threw it kind of far. So coach was like, all right, you're the quarterback now. And that's kind of how that whole process went about. There's a lot to and probably too hard to explain in a simple answer, but kind of give us perspective on what it's taken to get to this point. How many extra hours, how many – extra coaches and just the, the time you put into it to get this far? I mean, it definitely wasn't easy. I mean, the job's still not finished. I mean, I still got a lot of work to do, but I mean, I can't even, yeah, like, yeah, like you said, I can't even really explain all the stuff it took. I mean, it's been a lot of long nights, a lot of eight, going to school at seven in fifth grade to getting home at 9.30 and stuff like that. I mean, it's still going on now, like I said, but I don't know, I'm just blessed. Your freshman season last year, a phenomenal first year. Did you surprise yourself in any way? And what was your, the proudest part to you? Um, not I mean, I didn't, didn't necessarily like surprise myself. I kind of we kind of knew what, when we came to Carrollton that Coach King was going to put me in the best position to do the best I could. And I mean, I think we kind of showed that last season. I mean, 
my proudest thing from last year was definitely going to the state championship. You know, we didn't finish the way we wanted to, so that's kind of our it's kind of our redemption year right now. But that's definitely the biggest goal, or the biggest biggest thing that got me last year. But when you kind of assess your own game, what's the one area that that you feel you still want to improve the most, and that you have to? I know the answer is everything, but is is there one area that that you think is where your focus is on trying to advance and get better? Yeah, no, like all summer I've been focused on like getting bigger, stronger. I mean, guys are just going to keep getting bigger and stronger. So you got to be ready to take them big 10 hits by the time you get there. So that's kind of just been my main goal is been getting stronger, faster. But I mean, throwing the ball is just throwing the ball. I mean, you're going to train and everybody's yeah. going to train. So it's kind of like just do what else you can. Now that you're committed, what, what's the communication with the USC staff? How often are you talking to the Lincoln and, and those guys? I mean, pretty often. You know, they still can't, like, call me or anything because mm-hmm. I'm not a right. junior yet. But, I mean, I talk to them maybe once or twice a week. I mean, it's not like a it's def- it's not like an everyday thing. I mean, they're not going to harass me or anything. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I talk to them as much as, much as I feel. Going back to that recruiting process, that visit, was what was the most compelling part of that conversation with Lincoln? Was there one thing – when you walked away, like it was the one thing that stuck with you the most. Shoot, honestly, nothing in particular. I mean, it was just that whole conversation with him. Like I said, he's just such a his football brain and just the whole thing was just kind of out of the ordinary. But well, I'll, I'll kind of uh, end where I started with just the, the spotlight that's around you. Give me a sense for what it's like going through a school day, walking around town. I mean, how, how often are you? Uh, able to blend in, or is it just all the time? I mean, it's kind of it's kind of all the time at this point. I think I, th- I blame the hair sometimes because <laughs> I, mean, I usually blame the hair. But no, nah, it's definitely a blessing. You, I mean, some people say you're gonna get tired of it or it's gonna get annoying, but I mean, you gotta look at the bright side. I mean, at least people know who you are, and uh, it's just a blessing to be where I'm at. When you heard that Sports Illustrated wanted to put you on the cover and do that story, what was your first reaction? Uh. Man, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't believe him at first. I thought my dad was just talking, but uh, I mean, I was in, I was in a Sports Illustrated article back in the day when I was like 11 or something like that. So it was definitely nice being on the cover. Then Justin Herbert was on the cover when I was in it, but it's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, like I said, I'm just blessed. Are there uh, just a few last ones for you, Julian? Are there any quarterbacks that you particularly look up to and and have tried to take? parts of their game into yours? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I'm just trying to be me at the end of the day. I mean, of course, everybody's watched Tom Brady and stuff like that. But, I mean, that's just that's just football. At the end of the day, you, you're your own person. you got to be you on the field. I mean, you try to play like somebody else, you're not going to be what you can be. That's just how I feel. Is it just a coincidence that uh, you all are the Trojans here and you're going to be a Trojan in the future? Uh, no, it's, I don't think that's a coincidence. I, th- I feel like it all, it all worked itself out. But... Yeah, no, it's definitely easy, easy uh, keeping it in my Instagram bio. Awesome. Julian, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yes, I appreciate you. Much thanks to Julian Lewis. I mean, it was probably his first USC podcast interview, and we're happy to have him here on the Trojan Talk podcast for you. Let's get to Joey King, the head coach at Carrollton High School, previously at Cartersville High School, big name in the Georgia high school football world. Appreciative that he sat down with us for for 10 minutes as well and gave us his perspective. Okay, we are at Carrollton High School, Carrollton, Georgia, with head coach Joey King, here to see Julian Lewis play this week. First of all, we saw the stats from his freshman season. We've seen the highlights. Kind of give me your perspective on how special, how rarefied it was for a freshman to do what he did last year. Uh, I mean, definitely uh, not, a, uh, not a common feat by any means, you know, just to, to come into 7A football. You know, some people say that's the you know, second or third toughest 
the vision of high school football in the country uh, here in Georgia and, and to do what he did as a freshman. It's, it's, it's kind of unprecedented to, to be able to take the reins of our team and, you know, have the success that we had as a freshman. So definitely uh, excited about what he did and looking forward to, you know, the future with him. Do you recall when you first realized that man, this is a truly special talent? Was it before you got here? Was it when you first working with them? Yeah, so it's probably I guess spring of his spring of his seventh grade year. Uh, <laughs> I think you know you, you saw him you know saw him throw going into that eighth grade you know that eighth grade year, and I mean the first time you see him throw, you know he's he's special just because of how the uh, you know how tight his release is and how how clean the ball comes out of his hand. It's it's almost effortless. Obviously, you went through this with Trevor Lawrence, your previous school. How do you compare the attention that's around Julian and, and, and the spotlight that he brings to everything to what you went through with Trevor? Yeah, it's it's similar. Uh, you know, I think I think Julian's social media presence before before high school was greater and kind of had, had a greater following from an early age. You know, so that's probably the biggest difference. But uh, the attention that you know Trevor had. In his sophomore year and, and going forward, it's, uh, it's it's very similar, you know, attention from media, but also attention from just the, the people that are in the community yeah. and, and you know neighboring communities. Having been through that, did you have any advice for him about how to approach going into this and handle everything? Yeah, we're you know we're trying. That's that's the biggest <laughs> challenge is, is you know trying to keep these kids level headed in the face of all this attention. But he he's handling it pretty well. Um, you know, doesn't get doesn't seem to get too phased by it. And that was the that was the biggest thing that was the most impressive about Trevor was just none of it ever got to him. None mm-hmm. of it ever bothered him. But again, there's been a lot more attention on Julian uh, from a from a younger age. But I, I still think, you know, he's handling it um, in, in a very impressive manner. I don't know that, you know, myself when I was a fifteen year old kid sure. or the majority of people in this in this country when they're fourteen and fifteen and in a spot like he is would handle it the way that he's handling it. What's been the buzz around here since the Sports Illustrated cover? Came oh man, out? yeah, it's been crazy. Uh, I was talking with TC earlier this morning. It's just kind of kind of been a whirlwind of excitement, you know, just from uh, a lot of people in the community. Very excited to have you know one of our own on the cover of it, and then I, I know they're excited too. It wasn't a surprise to them. Obviously, they did the shoot, you know, several weeks yeah. back. Uh, but it's it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, I guess. Um, I don't know, a situation to be in for a sophomore, you know, and I think it's it's not something that he takes for granted. You know, he values that, you know, being one of the – one of or if not the youngest person to ever be on the cover of Sports yeah. Illustrated. Uh, that's definitely something special. We touched on it a little bit already, but his skill set, what's your – Kind of your thorough scattering point on what he does so well at this this age already and maybe the areas where you're still trying to – Advance him. Yeah, um, from from a you know quarterback play standpoint, I think the the biggest attribute that he has is his accuracy. I mean, he he throws some balls that um, I mean it's it's unbelievable the, the accuracy and the ball placement that he has. Um, he can throw with different arm slots, arm angles, make every throw on the field. That's probably the the, the most impressive. The second will be anticipation, just kind of understanding how you know defenses work. And he's really grown in that capacity over the past year. But just understanding the game of football collectively, I think he's he's uh, has the potential to be a very cerebral player, understands it extremely well. But accuracy and anticipation are probably one and two from a skill set standpoint. Coming into last year, was it just kind of a foregone conclusion that, okay, it's, it's his turn to take over? Or was there a competition with, with older players? Yeah, no, there was a battle. <clears throat> we had a uh, – we had a rising junior uh, that he was in a in a battle with in the spring, and we I mean we charted we charted every throw, um, 
every every you know one on one rep, every seven on seven rep, every team rep, and uh, by the end of the spring, I mean it was pretty clear that he was going to be the guy. So after spring ball, we we named him the starting quarterback, and I mean he was extremely excited, you know, and and took the reins and did a really good job as a freshman. What what did his play in the postseason last year, and especially in the state championship game, show you about his poise, his comfort in, in the spotlight in the moment? Yeah, I just I thought he did a, a really good job of handling it. Again, seven eight football in the state of Georgia, and we're playing, you know, traditional powers like Lambs and Marietta and Colquitt County, and uh, I mean just to to go out there week in and week out and battle, battle some of those teams that are nationally known. Um, I thought he handled it extremely well. You know, never never too high, never too low, which I think is a great quality of a good quarterback too. I'll see it tomorrow night for myself. But give me a sense for what a game day is like in Carrollton, how the community rallies around this program. Oh man, it's a special place. If you have a chance, I mean, come out and check us out. We've got a we've got a homecoming pep rally in the morning, uh, but then the the parade that'll be something. Uh, I think that's a sight that everybody needs to see is the homecoming parade here. I believe it starts at one o'clock, but there'll be. Uh, little kids dressed in black and gold all the way down the street and the community will be here. So it, it'll be a pretty special environment um, all day Friday, but especially on Friday night. With Julian's recruitment, what, what did USC and Lincoln Riley do well in that process to kind of convince him that that was the right spot for him? Uh, I mean, just probably selling selling the fact that uh, Coach, Riley, Coach Riley's success, especially from the quarterback position and coaching the quarterback position is – it's unprecedented in, in college football right now. The things that he's been able to do with the yeah. guys that he's coached, I think that was probably the, the you know the one of the main factors uh, of him choosing to go out there to go and be mentored uh, by Coach Riley. You know, Coach Kingsbury there right now. You know, I don't I don't know how long he'll be there, sure. but it's definitely lucrative right now. Do you recall the first time that Lincoln reached out to you? Uh, man, I, I had talked with a couple of their their coaches, and I actually uh, I actually text Coach Riley um, and just said, Hey, look. <laughs> You know, making sure you guys know we got we got this freshman quarterback that's uh, he, he's interested in, in everybody right now, just trying to kind of hone in, and he doesn't want the recruiting process to last forever. Mm-hmm. You know, how interested are you guys? And he texted me back and said, Coach, very interested. <laughs> we'll be there this spring, and then uh, they showed up this spring and and got a got a live evaluation and, and stayed and watched us through a workout, which was pretty cool. Uh, but there were about three or four four guys from USC that came with him, so it was uh, it was well received from from us for sure. Uh, that text was that during his freshman season, before his freshman season? No, it was actually uh, it was after the season. Okay, again, trying to you know figure out the traffic that was going to come through here in the yeah. spring and who all was. Uh, really in the game form, you know. Again, he offered from probably about everybody, but just trying mm-hmm. to figure it out early who he was really serious about and trying to develop those relationships early because he didn't want to drag it out. I was going to ask about just the way he handled the whole process. What stood out to you about his approach to the recruiting process? Uh, I don't know if anything in particular stood out. It's just, it was, I mean, it's kind of a kind of a whirlwind. Uh, he didn't really. He's 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 not been one of the guys to get caught up in, you know all the stuff that goes on with it. It's a drag and it I mean it wears on you after a while. They're going somewhere every week, every weekend, mm-hmm. visiting all these campuses. So uh, I know, you know, once he knew um, where it was gonna go that, that he was going he was gonna be done, you know, because again it's, it takes a toll on you uh, when you're traveling like that. I mean and they were they were going all over the country, you know, so I know they were glad to be finished with it. There's already a lot, of, a lot of buzz about whether he'll reclassify. What's been your advice to him on that? Your conversation with him? Yeah, just just stay the course, and you know, if if the opportunity presents itself and it makes the most sense for you to do, you know, I I'm, I support him. You know, so I again, if the situation is right and it it's going to benefit you know benefit you and, and springboard your future, then 
that's what you need to do. That's what you need to do. You know, we think this is a great place, and we run a great program, yeah. uh, and there's a lot of a lot of benefit to being in it, and, and they understand that and the value of that. So once the time comes to ultimately make that decision, you know, I trust that they'll make the right one. You know, whatever that is, I'm not saying they're one way or the other <laughs> is right, uh, but whatever whatever's best for them in that in that case and time. Moving forward, what's the the biggest area you want to challenge him to kind of get him to that next level, next level, next level? Yeah. Uh, so th- this offseason, we talked about you know, being a pro in the meeting room. Mm-hmm. You know, as you, as you continue through the ranks of, of you know high school football into college football into NFL, you're going to go through install meetings a, a million times. You know, and you're going to talk about a smash concept however many times. You know, so the first time that it's presented needs to be brand new to you. You know, you need to try to take something new from it. And as a freshman. You know, about the fourth time we installed the same the same play, he was kind of bored with it. You know, like I already know, I know this. And now, as a sophomore, uh, as he's a sophomore, he's you know asking questions and and taking a little bit more notes. And we want to continue to grow him in, in, in that respect. And then managing the game, he's done a really good job so far this year of managing the game and helping us try to stay ahead of the sticks. Um, you know, not understanding when and when not to gamble. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's if it's first and ten and we drop back and something's there and we can get five yards. Uh, you know, second and five is a whole lot better than second and ten. So just managing the game a little bit better, and I think he's done a great job with that so far this season. Uh, just kind of lastly, tell me about your offense and then what you ask of him in your system. Yeah, we put a lot on the quarterback. I've always done that. I believe in that. Again, it's uh, you know, I, I, you hear coaches say all the time, it's not what what you know, it's what the players know, and I don't think that's true. I, I think it's it's not what I know, it's not what the players know, it's what they know and can do. And fortunately for him, he knows a lot and can do a lot. Uh, so it's pretty fun, but we're we're spread based RPO system. Um, I mean, he's got got you know we we like to believe that we have outs on every play. You know, as long as he understands what the defense is in, uh, and he does a good job of again just taking what the defense gives us and trusting that the big plays will come. But he manages it well, and we do put a lot on him. Well, coach, thank you very much. Absolutely, thank you for having me. And last, but certainly not least, certainly not least. John Garcia Jr., our Rivals analyst in the Southeast, is in his first year with us here at Rivals, has made a major impact, been an absolute asset to the entire organization, a, a huge help to us at TrojanSports.com, and, and really having the pulse on, on recruiting in the Southeast and helping us out with a lot of the commitments over the summer. Also, just being an A-plus podcast guest. I think if you didn't hear him on his previous appearances, you'll understand why I say that. With this one, here is John Garcia Jr. breaking down Julian Lewis's game and why he is such a vaunted prospect at this young age. All right, next on the program, John Garcia Jr., our rivals analyst based in the Southeast, to talk about USC 2026 quarterback commit Julian Lewis, our rivals' number one ranked player in the 26 class. John, with those rankings, was there any debate at number one, or or how how clear was Julian as that choice? Look, you always want to throw out some candidates and have a conversation, but I think for the first time, certainly since I've been in Rivals, there was uh, a a very quick and swift debate, and we even get tasked after the fact, hey, you know, now thinking about it two days later, is there anyone else who should be number one? We actually write it up, and Julian was every single analyst's choice, so it wasn't just me being biased in my region because he's from Georgia, it was across the board. And I think the combination of, of kind of his hype and what he did as a freshman last year, and then everyone getting to see him in that ESPN game to kick off his sophomore season and nearly beat 
a 2024 five star in the process probably should have beaten him um i think that was kind of it i think everybody sort of bought into that that narrative that look this is a pretty generational quarterback who's got just about everything at his disposal so it's rare to not have a a true debate and obviously these these other guys will come along more so in the next couple years uh if julian stays in this class and, and there'll be much more of a conversation but there are special players, you know, Trevor Lawrence comes to mind immediately that have a chance to go wire to wire. And, and Julian right now seems like he's got a, as, as good a shot at that as, as anybody. Let's go back to the beginning of, of his rise. And the, what was kind of the, the breakout moment, the moment when everyone started saying, man, this this might be the next great quarterback? It was really his, his middle school stuff, seventh, eighth grade seven on seven and what he was doing uh at the middle school level where you know there became a recruiting race of sorts for what high school he was going to go to you know and that doesn't happen a whole lot um but at quarterback it does especially at, at a premier you know recruiting state like the state of georgia so there was this where where is he going to go is he going to go to grayson is he going to go to buford you know kind of the marquee schools um in the state of georgia and then all of a sudden he goes to Carrollton, coached by Joey King, who, of course, was Trevor Lawrence's high school coach up at Cartersville, Georgia. Really, at that point, it was kind of like, OK, everything is lining up for Julian Lewis to be this guy. So the next step was, OK, fall 2022, let's see what he's got. Playing great competition week in, week out, and he's got great teammates and, and talent to throw to as well. But how, how does he pick this thing up as a freshman, a true freshman starter at a high level in, in Georgia. And man, he, he just hit the ground running. There was just this sense of everything we'd seen in the workouts, all, all the build up, the scholarship offers, heck, that were coming in. Really, the colleges started this as, as much as I guess the media did. Um, all of that just became so apparent uh, just about a year ago when he got going as a freshman. Um, the accuracy was there, the mobility, the control. I think that's that's really kind of his theme is you know that he's this mature kid who can handle this and he plays in that light to where nothing nothing is too big he's never too high too low gives you some Bryce Young vibes in that regard I don't know if I should say Bryce Young on this podcast <laughs> but he gives you a little bit of that just from a, a, a in between the ears standpoint um, so all this as a freshman is just something we don't see especially again against great competition so it was a huge validator and he never really slowed down 4,000 yards 48 touchdowns as as a freshman going all the way to the state title game I mean just just unreal ability to live up to it um and, and I think everybody was convinced at that point okay this is what we thought it could be uh and now it's just a matter of how how much better do you get here going forward Let's go deeper into the skill set itself. Kind of just give me the the in-depth breakdown of of what he does so well. It's really a combination of everything. I think when when I start looking at quarterbacks, it's become an efficiency conversation. Um, Everybody's got an arm. Everybody can move a little bit at this day and age. You can't really function if, if you can't move to a certain degree. So it seems like it's a level playing field on certain traits. But when it comes to efficiency, how productive are you? How smooth of a release can, can you deliver with? Can you play off script? Uh, and, and we started to get those boxes checked really early with Julian. He's got a, a very coached up, classic, 
sort of three quarter release. It's above his head at six foot one, which is what you want. You know, if you're not the tallest guy, you don't want a a fifty fifty release where you're parallel to the ground. You want it higher. You you want to maximize the height and length that you do have as a you know 15 year old at this point so he does have that going for him um and then you know when you get to friday nights how efficient can you be you know he completed 65 percent of his passes as a freshman um and obviously was able to showcase three level ability they had some very good deep guys at Carrollton last year so he was able to show off some of that timing and anticipation but really how consistent and efficient can you be when it when it's when it's real when when the bullets are live and that's really with with Julian what we got to see the consistency was always there with him and he became efficient as as the year went on and again if you watched the ESPN game uh, even this year you just see a control he's getting to the second and third part of his read he's not rattled even though he took some really big shots so the toughness was also on display gained a little bit of weight on top of it so. It gets to the point where he's as well-rounded a quarterback as you've seen at the same stage. So you start to look for holes. You know, what can you knock on him on the other side of the evaluation spectrum? Maybe he turned the ball over a little bit too much last year. He's already tightened that up this year. Hasn't thrown a pick uh, two or three games into the season just yet. So uh, all the little things we start to, to micromanage and, and nitpick with him, he's even answering the bell in that regard. So I, I just think... The, the, the smoothness he plays with, the maturity in between the ears, the decision-making and processing has all matched up with the obvious, the arm, the mobility, uh, the ability to, to drop the arm angle, play off script, and some of those prerequisites for, for any Division One quarterback evaluation. Great stuff. Everyone always wants to draw comparisons. Who's this guy like? Who he reminds you of? You mentioned Bryce Young. Is that the, the, the comp you go with? I think in in terms of his demeanor, yes, I'm probably a little bit more in the C.J. Stroud physical comparison um, with Julian, another Southern California guy. I think he's got this mobility that is is tamed. He's not going to rely on it, if that makes sense. He's got it in his bag, and it'll get better because you'll enhance your strengths as you get a little bit older, but he won't rely on it. He really wants to be in the pocket or be efficient out of the pocket as a passer. And I think that that tag is something that he's going to carry almost like a chip on his shoulder, which is what we saw with, with CJ in that breakout senior year of high school and, and certainly at Ohio State. So I get a little bit more of, of those vibes with him. I do think his release is a little bit more classic and over the top like CJ compared to Bryce, who, who's going to do a little bit more but more funk in, in his game. He's going to drop it all the way low. Some of that baseball and basketball background is going to, going to show a little bit more than it was with CJ. I think Julian at the same stage is, is more polished than both of those guys. And I don't think he's he's going to rest on those as he gets a little bit older. So I'm a little bit more in the CJ Stroud mold for Julian. But again, depending on how big he gets, um, you know that, that projection and, and com- comparison can change. High praise, high praise. Well, for USC to win this recruiting battle so early in his high school years, and we'll talk about classification and, and, and year uh, next, but were you surprised that he that he locked in that commitment so early with the Trojans? And from a timing perspective, no. It's one of those where if USC gets involved for a quarterback, even if you're Saban or Smart or Ryan Day or whoever, you've got to – 
<laughs> sort of strap it up and say, okay, we, we've got to really win this from a classic sense. Um, because you understand that Lincoln Riley's got this, this resume over the last decade that really nobody can touch. And then you couple it with the fact that Julian, as, as one of these sort of groomed quarterbacks, seven on seven camps and all that, he goes out to Steve Clarkson every year in Los Angeles. He's gone out to Elite 11. You know, he's a well-traveled kid who, even though he's in the quote-unquote deep south, he doesn't have that kind of sort of travel history or anticipated travel history. He's a kid who's already gone out because of his ability and been able to see a lot of the country. So I think all of those things helped USC play level with Georgia, with Alabama, with Ohio State, which were kind of the main players in this recruitment for such a long time. Texas was a player for a long time. That helped him play level. And then I just think as he dug deeper into it from a I-can-handle-it standpoint, maybe he reminds you of Caleb Williams, you know, Mm -hmm. who was talking Heisman in a COVID year with us at Sports Illustrated when he couldn't even play ball. He was talking (laughs) Heisman at the next level. You know, so I don't think he's, he's as brash as Caleb, but in terms of just the the shouldering of it in L.A. with Lincoln Riley and with those expectations, he's already proven it to a certain point. I do think just that kind of goes right along with it. And, and we know if, if Lincoln locks on to a recruit, it's, it's going to be a, a big deal. So I think all of that played out for USC as time rolled on. And, and certainly, you know, last year, I think on the field really helped with that decision. I think Lincoln Riley would have been in it no matter what. But I think just the, the year Caleb had, the offense that USC rolled out, despite all of the transition that Riley was was dealing with at USC, I think all of that kind of created more benefit of the doubt with Riley and with USC in particular that it helped edge, which were, were great options, obviously, closer to home. Well, uh, Caleb Williams should be moving on to the NFL after this season, and kind of the succession plan from there is, is wide open. USC has... Miller Moss. They have Malachi Nelson, the five-star freshman. They probably will not end up with a quarterback in this 2024 class. Julian Lewis is presently a 2026 recruit, but there's been much buzz already about reclassification moving into 25. What what are you hearing on that front? What do you expect he ultimately ends up deciding to do? I, I heard the reclassification rumor before we sort of got wind that this was going to be USC's race to lose. So if that helps from a timing perspective, that was sort of out in the atmosphere before, hey, this kid's going to pick USC over Georgia and Alabama was. So I do think, again, you talk about the makeup of kids who are built for it. It's these, um, you know, these longtime quarterback coached type recruits that start to live up to it. Um, And I think that that's where, it's probably most likely at this point. Um, 25 would, would obviously give him one less year of high school ball, but still plenty uh, of, of starting experience as a three-year guy, again, uh, against great competition before moving on to the next level. So I do think that it's much more likely than not at this point. But here's the thing. When you're talking about that, even as a junior or senior or going into your senior year, a lot of things have to be tweaked to get to that point. If you're talking about it as a freshman going into your sophomore year now where Julian is, he's going to have to maybe overhaul some of those academics to try to get there. And he's got more time to do it. So I do think it becomes much more likely of, of a successful reclassification because of that allotted time. Normally it's it's one 
extra heavy summer of, of, of extra classes to get it done. I think Julian could probably split it up between the next couple and, and be smooth sailing into that reclassification by the time, uh, you know, next year rolls around. So he'll have an advantage contemplating it this early as opposed to a Quinn Ewers or a JT Daniels who kind of did it on the fly on the back end like oh I can I can do this yeah. and then you, you go and, and jump in and take the extra classes so I think it's it's much more likely with the Julian Lewis. That's, that's a great point and it makes the most sense for USC like I said no no guy in this class we'll see if Malachi Nelson has established himself by then or or if he's still battling Miller Moss and things are wide open well just last question for you John uh, what benefit do you think this has to USC in terms of trying to corral some other top recruits from the southeast from Georgia does Julian Lewis have a pull with other guys in his class or in the 25 class that you think might help USC's chances yeah I think once that reclassification becomes clear absolutely I mean you always want your quarterback to be the extension of the coaching staff from a recruiting standpoint but look kids in in vegas and seattle and you know cincinnati and dallas know of julian lewis much less the ones closer to home which are you know even more plentiful from a very fertile recruiting standpoint so absolutely this will will boost your wide receiver recruiting your tight end recruiting theoretically your offensive line recruiting simultaneously but kind of like those big names that we've thrown out and we've thrown out plenty in this podcast all those guys were galvanizers. You know, they all rallied the troops for their recruiting classes. Caleb did it during COVID for Oklahoma and certainly did it in the portal for USC thereafter. Um, you know, I think Julian's got that kind of ability. Again, he's not going to be as outspoken with it, maybe as a Caleb Williams, but internally, one-on-one, probably a little bit more Arch Manning-like in terms of, hey, let me make you a phone call. Let me let you know, hey, I'm going out this weekend. Why don't you come check it out? We'll stay together. My, you know, my folks got a hotel, whatever it is, and we'll we'll go from there. Uh, so I do think this will have a, a true galvanizing effect and help geographically. You know, USC recruit much more nationally. We've already seen them push more in the Southeast in general. So that coupled with Julian Lewis, coupled with that Big Ten move, I think all of that will, will help USC truly recruit from a national standpoint in the next couple cycles. Great stuff. Excellent perspective. Nobody does it better. John, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. How'd we do? Good show? I thought it was a good show. I enjoyed putting them together. Um, always fun talking with Max every week. Thanks to him as always. Uh, much thanks to the hospitality at Carrollton High School. Special shout out to Matt Skinner, who helped coordinate all the interviews at Carrollton High School and uh, set me up with with Julian, with, with Joey King, got me in touch with Julian's dad, uh, just showed me around the incredible facilities, which are some of the best in the country, uh, you know, certainly on par with some of the Texas schools. The stadium itself is not as, uh, as monstrous as, as some of the, you know, Allen, Texas or, or South Lake, Texas some of those programs, but in terms of the overall team facilities, they have a full indoor uh, practice facility with a full-length field uh, indoors because it gets so hot in Georgia that you got to have options to get out of it from the heat. Uh, just a massive team field house complex with all the coaches' offices and meeting rooms and a big Hall of Fame room, all the 
the history of Carrollton football going back decades and decades and decades. Very well presented. Uh, a bunch of NFL guys spotlighted. Just a really impressive program, and uh, no surprise that they're one of the best in the state. But the hospitality was off the charts, so helpful. We are very appreciative, and we hope that you all enjoyed those interviews and enjoyed getting to know Julian Lewis a little bit more as he is the future of the quarterback position for USC. Whether that future, as we discussed, whether that future is in a couple years or a few years or whenever his time comes, he's, he's that next guy down the road. And I'm sure we'll be doing a lot more coverage of him in the years to come. Carrollton, amazing town, great town. One of my favorite uh, southern towns, kind of uh, aside from the, the big ones everyone knows, under the radar list, Carrollton, Georgia, very impressive town, nice little downtown square, great restaurants, and very good football. That's our show. That's the Trojan Talk podcast for this week. We will be back next week. But do get to trojansports.com and check out the full feature story coming on Julian Lewis this weekend. You will not want to miss it. Until next time, thanks.